Ready to explore the branches on your family tree? Join Abbott historian and genealogist Cherie Harper as she helps you begin your journey of finding out just where you came from. Brick Walls and Pitfalls starts now. Welcome to um, another episode of Brick Walls and Pitfalls with Insight Genealogy. I'm Cherie Harper, and um, today I wanted to talk about the U.S. Census. Um, They've been taking censuses since um, the late 1700s for the entire United States. They've kind of evolved over the years into different things that um, they identify and different things that they tell you about your family if you're looking into your genealogy or family history. Um, Honestly, for me, I would say that uh, censuses are the most important thing that you use. Um, When you're doing genealogy, it's the easiest and most accessible and uh, most searchable thing that you will use. Um, There are several different things that vary from year to year. They do them every 10 years, um, and that that still happens today. So um, back before 1850, there were no individualized people on the census records, meaning that um, on the record, it would just show the head of the household. It would show um, basic things about, you know, how many people under the age of you know how many males under five how many females under five things like that so there's not a whole lot of identifying information there um i always recommend you start at the most recent census that's available which would be 1940 and work your way backwards having said that once you get beyond 1850 you're only going to be able to identify um, mostly men um, women's names kind of get lost in the shuffle so i kind of want to go over a couple of things um from census to census, starting from 1850 forward, because that's when they actually changed them significantly, and that's when they're identifying people individually and giving you more information to work with. So um, starting with 1850, on that census, it's actually pretty basic. Um, it does have the name of every person who lives in that house. It tells you their age, if they're male or female, and what their ethnicity was. And the options there were typically white, black, or mulatto. It'll tell you uh, what they did for a living, tell you the value of the real estate owed owned so that's something that you can actually um, there's different calculators you can find online that will calculate in today's money what that would mean that gives you kind of an idea of, of you know your standing in the community at that time for your family you know if they were doing pretty well or maybe not um, you know a lot of people were sharecroppers or you know rented homes or whatever and so they don't have any value for for real estate um, so that's kind of you know good information to have It'll also tell you the place of birth. It just goes by state. It doesn't give you any more information than that, but that also gives you, you know, some information to work with. It also will tell you um, anyone over the age of 20 who can't read or write and whether anybody in the house was, you know, disabled in any way, deaf, dumb, blind, insane, that kind of thing. So that's all good information to have. It doesn't give a whole lot of detail, but it's a starting point, and it's the first census that does that. So if you go to the 1850 census, you can usually find a a decent amount of information. It does at least give you a family group and will give you the names of, you know, brothers, sisters, things like that um, to whoever, whichever ancestor you're looking for. And also the place of birth is really, really important. Anyone who's doing any sort of genealogy knows that figuring out where someone is born. um, I'm in Tennessee. And so basically everyone from here. In my family tree, most of my family tree is in Tennessee and all of them in the early 1800s came from somewhere else. So by 1850, a lot of them are showing they're born in Tennessee, but there's also several that will show that they, they weren't, that they're from North Carolina or something like that. So that's good information to have. It gives you your next jumping point to keep working backwards from there. 
Um, so that's the first one I want to start with and, and tell you kind of what's on that one. And like I said, they do evolve from there. And so we are going to get into a lot more information when we get into the 1860s and, and beyond. It's Brick Walls and Pitfalls with Insight Genealogy, and we are discussing censuses today. I'm your host, Cherie Harper, on the Henson Oakley Podcast Center, providing your family's dental care and now featuring Zoom teeth whitening. Make your appointment today and you'll be on your way to a dazzling smile. Henson Oakley Family Dentistry, West Jackson Street in Cookville. Okay, so moving on from that, um, we are looking now at the 1860 census. And so, again, they do evolve and they get more detailed. And there are some, some of them that ask some kind of unique questions. And I'll try and explain why some of those questions were asked. But in 1860, it gives sort of the same information, tells you everyone living in the house, their age, sex, race, that kind of thing. It tells you the uh, value of their real estate again. It also asks for their personal estate value, meaning like personal items. So, you know, not just their house, but what they have in the house. You know, do they own farm equipment? Do they own a lot of furniture? That kind of thing. And so that gives you another kind of insight into what your family's life might have been like, kind of where their social standing might have been. Uh, It also asks, again, for the place of birth. It asks for if they were married within the year. It uh, wants to know, again, if there's anybody in the house who can't read or write or whether anyone had a disability. So it's basically the same thing as the 1850. The biggest difference is it gives the value of personal property, which is, um, you know, can can be very useful. If you're trying to f- figure something out, that can actually help you quite a bit just to kind of understand more about their life and what they were doing. Um, 1870 asks the same questions again. Um, the new category is there. It asks if your father or mother were foreign born. And if you have immigrants in your family, that's good information. Um, It will tell that. um, That will give you another clue that you can dig further into when you're trying to find out, you know, where from and that kind of thing. Other than that, it's kind of the same as the last two. It has the same basic information. Um, It also on this one, though, it does have a category where it breaks down. If a person was under a year of age, it breaks them down into months. So it gives you an idea of what month your ancestor might have been born in, because before now, it just gives you a basic age. It doesn't tell you a year or anything else. This time, if you have a baby on the census, it tells you about how old they are, and it gives you an idea of what month and year they were probably born in. And so if you're really digging into something and you've hit kind of a a stopping point where you can't figure out, you know, if you've got the right ancestor, you're trying to make sure you have the right person, that can help you a lot. Little details like that are sometimes the things that break the case when you're looking at this kind of information. Uh, the next one we'll go on to is 1880. It does have the same information as the other ones. The other thing it asks that's new, though, it wants to know if you're married or single. Um, the previous instances don't really identify. It tells you who's in the house, but doesn't tell you how they're related and doesn't tell you any of that information to tie everything together necessarily. You can sort of guess by looking at the ages and things like that, but this one actually tells you if they were single or married or widowed or divorced and that's you know really helpful it's good to know sometimes when you're looking especially at a family and you're looking at um, a a family group and you're trying to figure out back in this time period a lot of the women passed away from childbirth and other things like that and men would get remarried multiple times sometimes and so if you're trying to identify which female that you find attached to this man might be your actual ancestor a lot of times seeing a break in it where he was widowed or whatever will help you decipher which one is which and so that can be really helpful when you're trying to uh, figure it out 
The other thing it will do is it will tell you the relationship of each person in the house to the head of the household. The 1880 is the first one that does that. It does identify them exactly as it'll have, you know, uh, Hampton Lowry is the head of the household. Then it will show, you know, Sarah and John and Thomas and all these people. And it will tell you how they're related to the main person to, to Hampton Lowry. It would tell you that. And that is really good information to have. It, it gives you a a much more definitive idea of who's living there, how old they are, and how they're all related. And so that's a lot more helpful than the previous ones where you're just sort of guessing and sort of using, you know, logical conclusions to put things together. This one actually identifies it for you. Okay, and so the unfortunate thing now is we're talking about the 1880 census. When 1890, there was the 1890 census was actually lost in a fire. And so you're going to have about a 20-year gap where you have no information about anyone other than whatever local records you can find. And I found in my personal research that's really frustrating because a lot of my brick walls, so to speak, have been in that time period. And it's mostly because of this, because there's nothing to identify or track anyone down with. Um, there's nothing to connect anything. I've got ancestors that were born in the you know late 1870s. And so then by 1900, they're married or something. And so it's really hard to, to put those together. Sometimes it takes a lot more work. It's a little more tedious. And so we do have to skip the 1890 because it just doesn't exist. I will say that there are other records you can find. Uh, Tennessee did like a voters enumeration list for like 1891. And um, that will help you at least identify the males that were living in that area in 1890. So if you're trying to find the family, if you already know they were there in 1880 and you find the head of the household still there in 1890, chances are they were all still there. But unfortunately, it doesn't give you anything other than just the, the mail. So uh, we're going to have to skip the 1890 because it doesn't exist. Um, and that concludes today's episode of Brick Walls and Pitfalls. Uh, on the next episode, we are going to go ahead and move to 1900 and beyond and talk about those and see how they can help you with your research and different clues you can look for that maybe you've never noticed before. So we'll see you next time. <music>